all, thanks for joining us on the Cream of the Crop podcast dedicated to agriculture. We talk to top leaders, share top ideas, and discuss top trends and products. We get to the heart of ag and put the issues on the table. Thanks for tuning in today via Zoom. We have Sue and Tiffany from FSGA. Hey there. Morning. Good morning. How are you guys? Good, great. I'm so excited to I'm so excited to have you guys. Um, just to get started, um, I know you guys work for FSGA. What does that mean for our listeners? Um, and what is your job there at FSGA? Okay, so FSGA stands for the Florida Strawberry Growers Association, um, and we're really just a trade association for the strawberry industry here in Florida, which is very concentrated in the Plant City area, between ten to 11,000 acres, um, and there's four of us that work full-time as staff members for the representing the Strawberry Association in our membership, and we can get into what that looks like, um, but I do member services and community relations here at the Strawberry Growers Association. Wow. And what about you, Sue? I do the fun part. I do the marketing and um, just build consumer awareness throughout the state and the country. A lot of people think of Florida as orange trees and tourists and have no idea about the um, agricultural products that are produced here. And we're second in the nation in production of fresh strawberries. So we're a very important commodity here. What is like your favorite part of doing the marketing for FSGA? I think traveling is a lot of fun and that's kind of been stopped. Um, So we had a lot of projects in the work that have been postponed or canceled. So um, we've got to get a little bit more creative in in how we get the word out. And so um, the internet, social media, all of our outlets there and and consumers talking about us is going to be a very important way that we communicate yeah. what's happening in our industry from now on, I think. I think in the ag industry, we forget how powerful word of mouth is and like how quickly that, that those words can travel. Um, I know just working with like the customers at Highland, you can have a new customer hop on the software and like within five days, everybody, you know, their friends are calling like, hey, so-and-so told me about this. So I'm sure it's the same in your aspect of the business too. Um, tell me like what, I know Tiffany, you were talking about like membership and what that looks like. Like how do growers, like what is this organization going to benefit if I'm a grower and I want to get involved? Well, I think word of mouth is exactly how FSGA gets its reputation. Um, we have an executive director and his role in is very much the leadership of the industry and what issues are being seen. So we really are here to add value and serve the industry. Um, so for growers, we have a grower membership, which is about 50 farm entities and is very representative of, I would say, 80 to 90% of the industry. So that's great. We have most everybody on board with us. It's voluntary. So they pay an acre per acre fee annually. Um, and then we also have an associate membership. So that can be folks like Highland is a member. Mm-hmm. And we're grateful for that. Um, so anybody who is an input to the industry or a supporter of the industry can also pay an annual membership fee. So as a whole, you see um, the nurserymen who produce the plants are also 
members. So it kind of is encompassing of every aspect of the industry, runs through our association. And as a result, growers have a great access as a member to information, marketing efforts, the latest trends that Sue's involved with, um, regulatory issues, Anything that's going to affect their businesses, either hurt or improve, we try to be involved with and on the heartbeat of how we can be of service and information to our membership. So they really just get involved by calling us, us being present in the community. It's been around since 1982 and was formed by a group of growers. So it really is a grassroots organization that is a voice and advocate for the industry. That's really cool when you can see that it started with growers and now like you guys, I mean, I don't know, we'll get into that about where you grew up and how you grew up. Um, but I don't know if you are a farmer and you're still involved in that. So I think it's really cool that that can be full circle. Um, when you were talking, both of you kind of touched on the ways that like you market and you help these growers market their crops. Um, and obviously right now we're not in person, we're on Zoom, which just tells what's happening in our world right now. Um, how do you market creative ways? I know we touched a little bit on it about like using social media, but what are some ways that are like extra creative that you've had to like just pull out of your pocket recently because the world looks so different? We've been pretty lucky because our season is over. And when this started, we were finishing up a lot of our projects with restaurant contests and um, some other things that we were doing. We shot some videos during the season that are going to be showcased on our website um, this next season coming up and it's going to tell more of a story of our industry show some of the growers in action and on a day-to-day business um, what is all involved with the the new technology that we're using which Highland Mm -hmm. is a big part of that and um, trying to get our stories out in video a lot of people love the videos even Facebook short Instagrams and things like that so I would say we were very lucky as an industry to be finished with our season. Mm-hmm. And um, so the things that we were working on during the summer was promoting when we actually didn't have any fruit um, to showcase, but you know, we were going to be present there telling um, the story and marketing the fruit. Now this season coming up is going to be a little different. And I would say we're going to just ramp up everything. Contests are a big um, way to get new people to look at your website and to learn about your industry. Um, Anything with children and Tiffany works with a lot of organizations that educate kids because they're going to be the future consumers and we want them to know what a strawberry looks like, not cut up just the full berry. We want them to eat the fruit fresh. Um, There's a lot of different recipes though. And we were talking the other day about, um, I didn't like Brussels sprouts because they just looked funny and they smelled funny. But when I went to a restaurant and had them fixed in a very unique way, it's mm-hmm. my favorite thing to do now. And so um, introducing, I think using chefs and restaurants to introduce new recipes, being creative with barbecue sauces and different wow. salads. And um, I know charcuterie, charcuterie boards are a big deal now. So strawberries of color. And so everybody's using those. But um, any type of new product, I think if you can introduce it to a restaurant and Mm -hmm. have them show it to a consumer used in a unique way is going to help you also. So that's going to be something that we're working with. Now that I think, now that I think about it, I don't even really know that many restaurants that have strawberries in anything, you know, that they cook. 
So that'd be really cool. I, I think I want to know more for sure off the podcast when we have a longer to talk about how you navigate through um, getting into those restaurants and stuff. I know Megan Maxwell at work made some like strawberry jalapeno jam and I could literally eat it with a spoon. Like I just <laughs> love the spice and like the fire with mm-hmm. the strawberry. Like, it was so strawberry <laughs> jalapeno it, margaritas and things like that. But we also have a recipe for salsa on the website and it's oh, really good. So it's strawberry salsa. Strawberry. Yes. yes. It has jalapenos in it, right? So yeah. And avocado. Yeah, it's really good. I have got to try that. Um, when you said restaurant contest, what does that mean for someone? Because like, I'm not to sound ignorant, but I don't know what a restaurant contest is. So tell me what that means. Well, for the we've done it for two years now, and it's expanding every year. We work with restaurants, and we um, they partner with us and donate a gift card. So um, if you have ten restaurants, then you have a thousand dollars as to give away. So what happens is the restaurant showcases Florida strawberries for a two week period the first year. The next year, this past year, we did it for a month because the restaurant said, if I'm gonna change my menu and I'm gonna really come up with some great ideas, I would like it to last a little bit longer. So we did it and it happened to be um, February, March. So it all worked out two weeks and two weeks um, in both of those months. And so it was before all this happened where they create, the chef creates it. We showcase them on local TV shows, um, the morning or the afternoon news. They get to go on camera with us as a commodity. We are invited to um, talk about our industry. So we bring a chef along and they talk about their restaurants. So it's a win-win for both. And then consumers go to the restaurants, take photos of them eating that special dish and they tag us and the restaurant. So that's where the competition comes in, the restaurant with the most postings and the consumer that's eaten at most of those restaurants and photographed it, they win. So we have a first and second winner. They win trade wins, weekend VIP, uh, dinner at Rumfish Grill, which is, you know, a great restaurant. And they'll have something, of course, with strawberries infused in it. And then second prize gets, you know, gift cards also. And um, the um, restaurant gets showcased as being the winner and it's kind of a, a great opportunity to get them to really put us in there and to, sh- to talk to people that are from all the different states and different countries when they yeah. come with us. So we're not even just in the Florida area by being a, an industry that's in a place where everybody loves to come on vacation. Mm-hmm. It's perfect because we can hit everybody and then on their way home, they're going to go, oh, Florida strawberries are in season. I'm going to look for Florida. Oh. It's snowing in their backyard, but they're going to be eating fresh Florida strawberries. That's literally brilliant. Like, <laughs> why did no one ever think of this before? Like, I just think it's so cool. And I'm like the biggest foodie on the earth. Like, if I go to a new town, I have to try like the new restaurant. <laughs> yeah, we do. It's been our demise at times, but <laughs> yeah. it's going down. <laughs> Yeah, my pants don't appreciate it most yeah, times, but my, my heart's happy, and I'm supporting farmers. Like, come on. <laughs> it's, it's the best of both worlds. Well, it sounds like you're super passionate about, like, things in the kitchen and connecting the consumers cooking to the farmer growing it. Um, where was that passion found for you? I married a strawberry grower 43 years ago, so wow. I was not in an ag background at all. And so going from the farm to I actually worked uh, at a shipping facility also. I, so I've been in farming, shipping, 
and now marketing. And um, we have a beautiful kitchen here at, at our office. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but you're welcome to come and see it. We shoot videos in there. It's a showcase kitchen. I wish mine looked like that. So <laughs> by having a kitchen like that, it inspires you too to come up with some great ideas. And just looking at other people's postings and different um, the California Strawberry Commission and those uh, the big strawberry companies all have some great chefs working for them. And we can't really afford having, you know, spokespeople that are famous chefs. So mm -hmm. um, we just kind of put our own spin on our recipes. And uh, I just, I, and inviting, we have like Channel 13 coming here. Charlie Belcher has been in the oh, kitchen cool. cooking with us. So it makes for a great spot. And um, I think you just get inspired when you get in there. And we have all this fruit. We have a little patch behind the office that we get to use. Uh, it's a research testing area for new varieties. So I get to see, well, we get to see everything that's happening before it's even released to the public. And uh, Oh, cool. So we kind of are spoiled. Yeah, I guess so. Picking it and then bringing it in and making something. Yeah. Um, is that patch that's like behind your office, is that like owned by you guys or is that a grower that just lets you guys use that? Sure. We have um, sister companies under the umbrella of the Florida Strawberry Growers Association. So we have a great partnership with the University of Florida and they have research centers throughout the state and the one local to our region. It's the land grant system, basically. But um, through the university, there's a whole strawberry program. So the new varieties come out of the university and through our Florida Strawberry Patent is one of the companies we're able to partner with the university and manage the varieties that come out of the university so that's how we really have access to those varieties prior to the release on a commercial level um, so the strawberry breeder is here regularly monitoring those varieties to pick out qualities and traits that he thinks is best suited for the industry to produce wow. um, that's how we get the insider on that front and then there's also the Florida Strawberry Research and Education Foundation. So those funds that are generated from the varieties, it's a patented material. So there's a royalty stream off of those varieties that, again, we get to share with the university. It's a wonderful partnership that was established. Um, Dr. Chip Hinton right, established mm -hmm. that. He was a prior executive director, and it's really served us well. Um, and so those funds are channeled through the Research and Education Foundation that is also part of our sister organization that goes back into funding that program. So it's a big complex circle, oh. but as a result, um, we're able to be kind of included in the whole industry and the process to get those varieties out and the research back in. That sounds like such a unique, cool opportunity that like, I'm just, I'm like geeking out over that to be able to see it like total full circle, like picking varieties all the way to producing a commercial, like sign me up for that. Like, it just yeah, I think it creates a lot of um, ownership on our member side to know that they have a say in the research that's being done. And as a result, Sue is on a marketing effort and then me on a regulatory. I mean, it kind of just really gets you invested in the whole process to be part of the full circle. So it sounds like you're really passionate about like advocating and policy and like all of these different things. Tell us how you got this passion and then now how you use it at your job. So I grew up in Hillsborough County and my mom's family has been here for years, but never really in agriculture as far as I know. Um, but I was interested in it from a young age and went to the University of Florida and 
for undergrad did the um, ag communications program. And so some of our projects encouraged us to reach out to industry and I called FSGA. So (laughs) Sue kind of took me under her wing and would take me to these glamorous, amazing trade shows. As a student, I was, I'm still enamored by them, but it was an amazing opportunity. Um, And I mean, strawberries are pretty amazing and glamorous you know, to begin with, we always joke like, man, it would be tougher to sell asparagus or (laughs) artichokes, but they have their own charm too. (laughs) But most people we meet really do love strawberries. So that was, I mean, you know, being in the area, people really adapt and enjoy the lifestyle of the strawberry industry. So, or at least the look. So, um, volunteered as a student, went to work for the university of Florida for two years and then an opportunity opened up here. So it all worked out amazingly, but I just pursued the kind of my route was through education and and Mm -hmm. through college was my exposure to agriculture. And I really tried to take advantage of the connections and network through the university. Um, and it has just, it's been an amazing experience. I've had a lot of great experience through that. But I guess in school, too, policy always just kind of, you know, it's ever-changing and full of its challenges, but it was a route that I could really learn through and expose myself to that you can then turn around and communicate it in a way that growers I mean, they love to farm. Growers love to farm. They like to be outside. They're going to die doing it. I mean, these people don't just retire. So Mm -hmm. um, I think being able, I mean, through policy or agency, communicating these things, whatever it may be, is a way that I can do my part without knowing how to really farm. So (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. I love that, like, there's so much importance to every aspect of the industry. Like, we couldn't do it without the farmers, obviously, but there are so many, like, unsung heroes that happen behind the scenes, marketing, policy, like, all these things that ultimately, if we didn't have you guys, these strawberry growers would probably not be in the shape that they're in without an industry organization like you guys. Um, I loved policy in college. It was, like, one of my favorite classes to, like, just listen to and, like, learn. And what I think was so cool is what you just said, is that when you learn the policy, you can present it on an easy to understand level for people that aren't engulfed in it. So these growers are farming, they're sitting on these tractors. Chances are they're not listening to Fox News. They're not listening to CNN. Like they may not even know what's going on around them. And their life probably hasn't changed too much during this, you know, like they're in a tractor, they're on their farm. They're not worried about social distancing and like all these things. Granted, I know like with labor and all of that, they are for sure. But um, like them themselves may not know what types of grants are available or things like that. Is that something that you help with? Yes. Yes. It's, it's, I mean, in the beginning, I thought I was going to be a master of every government agency that was out there. And I quickly learned, like, you definitely have to use your resources and thank goodness for other industry organizations who have teams of folks working in these areas, whether it's labor, food safety, all these things. But I think our mighty team of four, we're always sharing like links to this and links to that to stay up with the latest. But, um, I think that the, the industry really just sticks together as a whole on some of these issues and has to, to make sure that everyone kind of is on the same page and teams together to make sure that, you know, American agriculture is protected the best that we can. And obviously you have competition in those sorts of things, but growers want to do what's right from my experience. And um, they are honest people. I mean, 
and just like to farm. So it's generational, you know, I would say probably near a hundred percent of our membership has been passed down from at least second generation folks, if not three and four. Right. So it's, we want to preserve that, you know, um, but you definitely are not, <laughs> I mean, bless growers need a team these days, I would say yeah. of folks to help them mitigate and sort through all of the regulatory and organizational demands on them. So, um, we do our best. And as you all know, as well, it's a lot, but they, they want to do what's right. So they're open to resources and information. So that's, and with webinars, I would say, I can remember starting at FSGA. It's like, man, it would be great to hold webinars, but our growers still like to meet in person. They like papers to hold in their hands. <laughs> so I will say we were finally, we were very proud and felt quite fancy to hold our board meetings via um, Zoom. <laughs> oh my gosh, how exciting. Great more in their pickup trucks, on their tractor, on their phones. Yeah. 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 Wherever you have to catch them, it doesn't matter. Yeah. So we might kind of move forward with some of these different outlets, but it, yeah. and I'm sure many people can speak on that, that it's forced us to kind of adapt new ways, which not isn't a bad thing. This is true. I think for my job, you know, obviously like I help manage our um, customer support team for the software that we sell to growers. Um, and I have noticed a little bit of a difference in the last few months of growers really embracing this technology because before, you know, we, we do go see our customers, but it is more done over a phone or over a computer because we're, we're talking about software, you know? Um, so obviously that has been something that I've been really engulfed in is like the disconnect between agriculture and technology to the public, not necessarily to the growers, because I think that a lot of them don't get enough credit for like how much technology they use. Um, but I think the public doesn't understand how much technology is in ag. Is that something that you guys like help, um, spread the word on and help like inform the public about what growers are actually doing to help keep their food safe, help grow their food more efficiently and so forth? We produced a video that talks about it. Um, and it's from the weather, you know, how they're tracking it on their phones. It's all of their day-to-day operations now that's put on a computer. Any kind of program they're doing as far as field maintenance, it's all on a computer now and being tracked. And uh, like you said, the people don't actually know all the science that's going into farming now. It's not you just plant a seed in the ground and it grows. And um, and they're stewards of the land. They've been growing on the same piece of property for over a hundred years. So they're doing things right. Yeah. And um, I think it's just easier for the grower once they get adapted to these new programs to sit with an iPad in their vehicle and do it real time instead of waiting. Um, my husband has records back 40 years that he hand wrote every single day what he did. So he still keeps that you know, like a little journal, mm-hmm. but he can go back 20 years from now and today and tell you what he was doing on the farm. But wow. this way, he loves the iPad. He's part of your program, their farm is. So um, it's making it so much easier because there's so many things on their plate right now. And they would have to hire another person to do all this. But this way, they since they are responsible, the farm owner is responsible, they need to know what's going on. And by keeping track of it, the way that it's all happening now and in these times, it's just so much easier for them to, to not, to, just to grow their crop for that yeah. way. And yeah. Every, all their ducks in a row, you know, and prove it because now you have to have records, physical records of everything. And mm-hmm. this way, even like, I don't know what 
um, kind of audience we're going to have today, but you know, when you have your people coming in to check your books and your farm um, day-to-day operations to be certified to sell to a Publix or a Kroger, this way you can show them all your records without them looking in notebooks and yeah. things like that. So, I've experienced that firsthand through this job. When I started, I knew nothing about food safety other than like the one class I took in college about that food safety is important essentially. And so when I started this job and like started using this software that helps growers be ready for their audits, I watched audits happen. I've sat in them and I've seen just the total shift of the stress of like digging through papers and like, oh my gosh, is that in my wife's truck? Like, I don't think I have that book. She has that book kind of thing. So literally if someone knocks on your property saying, here's my phone. Yeah. I think it's, it's, it speaks volumes of growers in general, though. They're just great people. And it's not that they're being transparent. They're saying, here's, here's, here's all of my records. Here's all of my stuff. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Thank you. Have a great day kind of situation. Um, When you said that your husband still has his like journals from 40 years ago, I would love to see those. Like, I just think that's so cool. Like you should print them and like frame them. <laughs> it just stresses him out, I'm sure. Like, we talk about where I mean, they, they both live in. Yeah, it, so. it's the temperature, you know, because varieties react in a different way. So he'll he he just keeps track of on there is the weather, um, just everything that's happening on that day. So that's the so temperature, cool. the weather, if it rained or not, or how many inches it rained, and um, so and cool. when it freezes here in Florida, you know, they all get concerned about. Um, when to turn any water on to protect the crop and things like that. And all these alarms are going off in your house because the iPad's going off, the phone's going off. You've got a, a weather alarm on the wall in there that's telling you at your house the temperatures reach, you know, below freezing. And so you, he calculates from his farm how many degree difference it is. So then he, you know, knows when to head out to the farm. Smart so, people. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of crazy. I think that's been one of the most rewarding things too. Like Sue's done a lot of work with food bloggers and when you take them to a farm and they're from, I mean, obviously interested in food, but just to get in Mark's her, or a grower's tractor that yeah. can drive itself or I mean, <laughs> go three feet. I mean, this is like revolutionary to some yeah. people. So I think those on-farm experiences or when we're at the state fair festival and if there's a grower there with us, I mean, con- consumers or fair growers or whomever, I mean, just are enamored by growers I think and when they get to hear that story of these are high class businesses and very smart people that are producing utmost quality of food that a consumer then is enjoying is people enjoy that story I think so I think sometimes we do get some tough questions about productions or you know material that's available out there that sources may not be the best or whatever it may be these consumer perceptions we I feel most of the time can give a great explanation of why they may think that and what the the grower story is. So it's so refreshing to know that even though there are misconceptions and misinformation out there, there's regulatory scientific research and information that supports what the growers are doing. So yeah. I think sometimes too, when consumers meet farmers, it's like meeting a superhero. Sometimes it's like, Oh my God. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's awesome. You guys are doing such an awesome job at just advocating for not only growers, but the whole industry, agriculture as a whole. Um, I love what you guys stand for. And I'm so, so excited that we just got a few minutes to talk today. 
Um, we'll definitely have to meet up for some corn fritters one day when the world is back to normal. Jonathan. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll talk to you guys soon. Thank you so much again for hopping on. Thank you for joining us today. This podcast has been a presentation of Has Media, copyright 2020, all rights reserved. Be sure to follow us on social media, Instagram and Facebook at Highland Ag Solutions. 